welcome to The Last Track, where we help people showcase the last track of their life story in their final wishes. I am your host, Brian Norris, the co-owner of Bateman Funeral Home in Newport, Oregon. Just like a song can bring you back to a day, a time, and a memory, so too can a well-planned service. The quote of the day is a song that's entitled Words, and it was written by Skylar Gray. So much to tell you, and most of all, goodbye, but I know you can't hear me anymore. It's so loud inside my head with words that I should have said, and as I drown in my regrets that I can't take back, the words I never said. I know that you're gone, but sometimes I swear that I hear your voice when the wind blows. So I talk to the shadows, hoping you might be listening, because I want you to know. In the song Words by Skylar Gray, the words that she wrote are very appropriate for the topic of the day today, because we're going to be talking about unexpected death. And when you have an unexpected death, most of the time, some of these feelings come, because you're thinking, Oh, I wish I would have said something. Or, man, I didn't say I love you when you left that morning. And these feelings that you have are are very difficult. And so as you're going through the process and the grieving process, the very first thing that you come up against is, what do I do? What happens? What are the steps that need to be taken? And so let's talk today a little bit about unexpected death. If your loved one does pass away in a care facility, most of the time you've already sat down with the people as you did the admittance process and you you decided on a funeral home and you decided on whether they're going to be doing cremation or burial, but an unexpected death like a car wreck, or maybe you came home and your loved one was cutting down a tree and the tree fell on them and you found them in the backyard, or Maybe the person has been ill, but you didn't know that it was terminal, or you didn't expect it to be terminal. What are the things that you should do? Well, let's, let's first start with a death that occurs in a home. Uh, let's say you come home and the person has passed away. The very first thing that you'll need to do is you're going to be dialing 911. Even though you know the person has passed away or you suspect that the person has passed away. The reason you call 911 is a medical certified person, like a police, fire, ambulance, they need to come to the location and verify that the person has passed away. Once they've called the time of death, and they have certified, essentially, that the person has passed away, then the next start of the process begins. And that's where they're going to ask you about a funeral home. Where would you like to have your loved one sent to? That starts the ball towards going to a funeral home. All funeral homes must receive or must be notified by a person who is legally authorized to call 
that a person has passed away. That's police, fire, medical, doctor, that type of a thing. Uh, So we need to know legally that that person has passed away and that we have been selected to take them into our care. So maybe part of the process to kind of help you through this is to maybe have a conversation in your family and have it written down somewhere is to determine if something were to happen, what funeral home would we like to eventually receive our loved one? Because that that's how it's going to work. Otherwise, what happens is if you don't have a funeral home or there's nobody present at the time that a person has passed away, so like maybe a neighbor uh, saw the person fall in the backyard and called an ambulance or called police and they get there, and if they haven't been able to notify next to kin, then what happens is if the person has passed away, then the funeral home that is on rotation for that month will be receiving the remains, will receive the body of the person uh, that has passed away. And then you'll be going and working with that funeral home and possibly transferring them from that funeral home to the funeral home of your choice. But that that's kind of how it works in probably 99% of the cities throughout America is if there's no next of kin that ha- that they can get a hold of, they will send it, send the decedent to the funeral home that's on rotation. So let's talk about maybe what happens with a person who passes away in a hospital. So for example, if a neighbor sees a person have a tree fall on them and they call an ambulance, the ambulance comes out, the person has not died at that point and has been transported to a hospital, the hospital is going to try to get a hold of the next of kin as well during that time. But if the person passes away in the hospital, then there's another trigger of events that happens. If the hospital has a small morgue, and I know everybody has watched NCIS and all those things, and so in these really big cities, and 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 there are some in these big cities like Houston and Chicago and New York. They're going to have a morgue, you know, where they go to a state medical examiner and that type of a thing. And they'll open up a great big drawer and they'll put the person in it. And especially in the smaller towns, they'll go to, if the hospital has a small little morgue, they'll take the decedent to that little space and place the decedent in that little place. So, for example, where we are in Newport, Oregon, where we have 10,000 people in our city and 50,000 or so people in our county, our two major hospitals that we have in our county do not have a morgue. They just don't. And so what happens at that point then is the hospital does everything that they can to notify next of kin and try to get the next of kin to be able to come in and, and be able to see their their loved one. They will also try to, if they, if they can't come in, they'll try to work over the phone with them and ask them which funeral home to send them to. But if they can't get a hold of anybody, then they do give us a phone call. Because we're the 
funeral home in Newport. And so all people that pass away in a hospital will come to my facility in Newport. Once in a while, they might go to another, you know, over, the, over into the valley because they can get a hold of a funeral home during the day. But if somebody passes away at two in the morning, they're going to be coming to my facility because we're the closest and the next funeral home is over an hour and a half away. Once the hospital has contacted us and we take the person into our care, we will wait until the next of kin has been notified. The next of kin, that is the responsibility of the police or the hospital to notify the next of kin. Every now and then, we end up being the people that do the notification. And usually that ends up being an accident because somebody hasn't been able to get a hold of the next of kin at that point. But we will contact the, the, the next of kin at that point, and then we'll start making some arrangements. Let's talk now a little bit about what happens once the funeral home has your loved one, and then what you can expect from the funeral home, and what you, you, the, the steps that you'll have to go through to make arrangements for your loved one. The first one is knowing whether or not your loved one has made pre-arrangements, meaning they've already come into a funeral home, They've already made arrangements for a cremation or a burial. They may, have, they may have already paid, and that's called a prepaid arrangement or a prepaid policy. They might have taken something out with the insurance company, and it's being held in an insurance policy at the funeral home. The funeral home, most likely, if the funeral home collected the funds, will have placed it into a third-party trust to be held so that that way those funds are guaranteed. And then a lot of times they will have already written out their wishes, like they want to have uh, be, be cremated in these clothing and, or they want to be buried at this location. And so they'll go through the prearrangement and decide whether or not uh, uh, they have one and then start talking to you about what, what are your wishes for the person. Because at this point, the person has passed away and what is the most important thing for the survivors of this person? And it might be, if the person is able to be viewed, it might be that you want to have a last time with your loved one in a private room, maybe with some of your family or, or, or friends present. And then you'll start talking about whether or not the person should be embalmed or there needs to be any uh, cosmetic repairs or anything done so that the person is uh, what we would call viewable or in a state that people can come and say their last goodbyes and have a good positive experience. Embalming does make the person appear much nicer for, and it will allow that it will allow the the face, and the body to be presented in a way that it's a very calm, uh, essentially, like it looks like they're sleeping. And that is something that you want to talk to them about. It's not required. And I want to make sure people understand that embalming is not required unless there's a condition or a situation in which they might have a communicable disease or open 
you know, open sores or a virus, that type of thing that, that a person can catch. And so chat with the funeral director to find out whether they need to be embalmed or not, or recommended to be embalmed or not. And many of the package packages that funeral homes sell include embalming in the cost of the service that you might be selecting. So just so check with them. Also, you'll be asked to bring some things in with you, like clothing. You know, maybe the person wants to be buried in their favorite football sweater. Maybe the person wants, maybe they were in, in, in the uniform services and they wanted to be buried with their army uniform or their navy uniform. Maybe they were a police officer, fire, and they want to be dressed in those clothes because that represents who they were. And so check with the funeral director and bring that peop- that that information in. You'll also be looking for the, what's called vital information, where they were born, you know, who their parents were. So city and state of where they were born, their parents, you know, the first and last names of their parents. One of the things, if you're doing this for maybe a grandparent, one of the things that might be a little difficult, and and I find this a lot, is what was grandma's maiden name? And so those are things that you may want to look up. Did they serve in the military? If they did serve in the military, were they in combat? Where? So, for example, if they served in Vietnam, you know, were they or were they not in combat during Vietnam? Those are things that you'll be bringing in with you as well to be able to fill out the death certificate. And hopefully a funeral home will have already given you what's called a vital information checklist that you can go through. There are different packages. So those are some things that you might want to uh, visit about. Military records. If the person is going to be buried at a national cemetery, make sure you bring in what's called their DD-214 or military discharge paperwork. Even if you don't want to have them go to a national cemetery, by bringing in their honorable discharge or general discharge, anything that's not anything that's not less than general discharge. So if somebody was a dishonorable discharge, they wouldn't be able to receive the benefits. But if a person served and they were discharged, they are also eligible to receive a flag. It can be folded. They can play taps and present it to the next of kin. And so you may not want to go to a national cemetery, but you can certainly have even at that at the funeral home, you don't even have to have a service. You could you can be at a park, and we can coordinate with a the military honors to be able to go to the park, play taps, and present the flag. Those are some things to think about, as well as maybe they might have some religious things that they need to honor. Whether you want to have a memorial or a funeral, meaning the body present or not, when you're scheduling times. A lot of times it, people want to do it on the weekend, and that's great because if that's how you can get the most people, uh, keep that in mind as you're, as you're scheduling a service because it may cost a little more because there's going to be what they call overtime charges, especially at a cemetery on a weekend or if it's after maybe 3 p.m. Those are things to keep in mind because there are expenses that come into it but you also want to try to be able to get 
as many people that want to attend to be able to attend. One of the other things that's really hard sometimes is how do you write an obituary? Most people never really write more than one or two obituaries ever in their life. It's like, well, what do I do? Well, there's a lot of resources online. You can take a look. There's some books. We actually hand a book to families that talk about how to write an obituary. We also have a questionnaire that if you go through and you answer the questions on the questionnaire, it's about a two-page questionnaire asking you know where they were born and their parents' names. And if you answer all the questions, essentially it writes an obituary for you. And then you can give that to the funeral home or you can take it down to your local newspaper and they can convert that into an obituary for you. And those are some things that you might want to ask your funeral home if they have that, uh, that to help you. Sometimes if you wanted to maybe have a viewing and your funeral home says, we can't yet, your loved one has not been released, what they're saying is they can't have a viewing yet because the medical examiner has not reviewed their medical information. Maybe if they have to actually physically see the decedent, then they would be coming to the funeral home or going to the morgue where they're at, and they will need to look at the person and determine cause of death. If they were in a car accident and they were the driver, then they also have to, they don't have to necessarily have an autopsy, but they will be drawing samples for toxins that are present to see if maybe the person's driving was driving impaired. And so those are just normal steps and procedures. And that's something that maybe is good for you to know that, oh, I don't need to get upset yet because, you know, uh, what's happening, there's just some steps that have to take place before the person can be viewed sometimes. Or the the, the medical examiner might release them to be viewed because we don't have to do anything cosmetically to to the person but they can't be buried or cremated yet until they actually are seen. And the, the, the medical examiner many times has to lay eyes on the person and maybe do a, a, a physical exam to be able to determine cause of death before a burial and before a cremation. And yes, there may be some religious things that we need to try to observe, but... Unfortunately, sometimes the law of the land makes it, and timing makes it to where it can be difficult sometimes to observe those religious aspects. Say, for example, somebody is in a car wreck Friday late afternoon, and maybe in their religion they need to be buried within three days. Well, Friday afternoon, Saturday, Sunday, now we're looking at a Monday, and the medical examiner may not have been able to get to the person by Monday to be able to allow that person to be buried because they may have to be sent somewhere for an autopsy. So everybody tries to work around religious or, you know, religious beliefs, but sometimes it's out of the funeral home's hands and people just hopefully can understand that. A lot of times with unexpected deaths, the person handling the funeral arrangements, this might be their first time ever dealing with these types of a situation. And so 
you know, they're going to be lost. And we're talking about death certificates and their eyes just kind of glaze over and it's like, oh, I have no idea. You know, I, or maybe they come in and they say, I know I need a dozen because so-and-so down the street told me I needed a dozen. And those are definitely, you know, I don't want to discount the advice of a friend, but what happened 10 years ago is not what's going on in today's world, especially with everybody trying to become paperless. And (laughs) I know we've been hearing that since the eighties, but a lot of banks don't need to have a certified copy anymore. They just need to see a certified copy, scan it, and put it in their system. So you might not need to have a dozen death certificates anymore. Your funeral home hopefully should have a checklist, and they'll go through that checklist with you, and they'll talk about things like bank accounts, how many banks the the decedent had an account in, because each different bank will have different requirements, credit cards in order to be able to close credit cards, They might have a title on a home, a title on a car, a title on a boat. Those will all need to have a death certificate in order to take their names off of those titles before those items can be sold. Uh, Life insurance policies. In many states, Oregon included, you have what's called long-form and short-form death certificates. And your funeral home can go through that with you, but just briefly A long form will include cause of death and medical information, whereas a short form will not. And life insurance companies are just about the only place that needs to have a long form. In planning the funeral, there's, again, we've talked about a lot of things, but um, things to just kind of keep, keep in mind is an online obituary, yes or no, and you can go to one of our podcasts that talk about that. You can talk about, you know, a memorial, poem, music, and you can go to one of our podcasts that talks about planning a funeral service. Who should you notify? And, you know, friends, family, that type of thing. And that's all part of the planning process. And and we go into that in some of our other podcasts as well. One of the questions is who's going to officiate? And that's, If the person was really religious and that was a major part of their life, then absolutely you're going to probably want to talk to a pastor or a priest that part of their life. If they weren't, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, a celebrant. You can look up celebrants in your local area and they can help you with a celebration of life. Wow, we covered a whole lot of information and hopefully this helps you. Hopefully this gives you some idea, some insight into maybe planning on, do a little bit of pre-planning on if you have an unexpected death. There's a whole nother level of things to talk about, grief, grief recovery, those types of things. We cover that in, in, in another podcast that we'll be having in the future. So please take a look, look and see if we have that in there now. And if we do, you can click on that and listen to it. But that hopefully gives you some good information. We always end our podcast with a time of remembrance. We stop, we, we take a break, and we think about those people that have passed, and we honor them, and we light a virtual candle.
This has been The Last Track. Again, my name is Brian Norris, and you can find out more about Bateman Funeral Home on our website at BatemanPacificView.com, or you can visit us on Facebook, you can find us on YouTube, and take a look and see what we have to offer. If you have any questions or feedback about today's episode, please leave us a comment, or you're welcome to call us at 541-265-2751, and we'd love to hear from you. Make sure you listen to the other two podcasts in this trilogy, How to Have a Funeral for Someone Who's Died by Suicide. Boy, that's, that's a tough one as well. And why would you need an autopsy? We briefly touched on it here, but you'll hear more about it and go into more depth if you listen to our podcast on autopsies. And coming up, How to Talk About Death. That'll be our next trilogy. Thank you.